show you listen to Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. And what matters to me, well, what matters to me is that um, we're still dealing with some issues today that uh, we addressed decades ago, but they still appear to be um, issues of concern in today's environment. So looking forward to having a great show today. Um, kind of a continuation of show we had uh, last week uh, with the exception of uh, our good friend um, Kirk Dixon will not be joining us, uh, but Guy Troop will be on with me uh, in just a bit, as well as uh, Dr. Uh, Janice Hillard. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, I'm sure she will um, she will correct me. Uh, Dr. Hillard has uh, been doing great work uh, in, in education. Uh, particularly in uh, athletics. Uh, she has a master's degree in urban counseling, a PhD in educational administration, uh, K through 12. Her dissertation she wrote, uh, Left Behind at Risk for Academic Failure, Case Study for Middle School Students in Lansing, Michigan. And uh, those of you who know a little bit about Michigan know that there are some areas that are of serious concern. I got a chance to actually see the movie Detroit. I don't know how many of you got a chance to see that, but that was something obviously that happened years ago, but one of those things that we're faced with this type of thing is even going on today. Uh, back to, uh, to Dr. Hilder. She also is a former Division I basketball player at the University of Houston. Uh, she's a former high school teacher, counselor, and coach. Uh, she started athletic administration as an NCAA intern at the college level. Um, she's had extensive academic advising, counseling, and leadership at North Carolina and Houston, and also Houston, I'm sorry, not uh, at Houston, but uh, in Houston. And um, she designed career transition curriculum for the NBA D-League. That is an issue of great concern today with the athletes, uh, being sure they have support systems there to assist them in their transition. Um, and a lot, lot more. There's a lot more um, that we can talk about. Obviously, the doctor is extremely accomplished. Resume is um, one to be admired and uh, a great example of those who have done a tremendous job in, in the workplace and in education, um, receiving her education and, and then in the workplace. So I believe Guy is on with us. Uh, Guy, are you there? Oh, maybe Guy's not there. I'm sorry. Yes, okay. I'm here, Ray. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm oh, that's okay. Um, Guy, I want to thank you for joining the show again. We, I just want to kind of piggyback off of some of the things that you and Kirk and I addressed. Uh, I believe it was last week, and uh, although Kirk's not here. Am I pronouncing uh, Janice's name correctly, her last name? Is it Dr. Hill Hilliard. 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 Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. great. So, uh, and Guy, I believe you and uh, you and the doctor have uh, shared some time together in the workforce together. Am I correct? 
That's correct. We uh, we started our careers out in athletic administration as NCAA interns many moons ago. Oh, that's great. Okay, now it was a very highly competitive program at that point. It was only six interns selected uh, annually every year in a pool of of, um, of you know a couple of hundred, maybe even a thousand applicants. So she and I were fortunate enough to be selected in the same class and developed uh, a friendship and a relationship with colleagues and always was pretty much wired to do similar work in terms of athlete transition and and addressing the educational uh, needs of athletes. Well, that's that's interesting, and it's good to know that uh, from the very beginning there was uh, a lady who was there and had the opportunity to participate very early on in athletic administration. Am I correct in saying that? That's correct. It was actually an internship that targeted uh, minorities and women. Uh, you know, in today's world with all this change, it, it the, that program has actually been reversed as well. So it was in the vein of some sort of affirmative action program trying to change the uh, complexion and, and, and uh, tone and gender of NCAA athletics administration by getting more women and minorities involved. And so we were, we were maybe the second or third class of the NCAA and that program's still around, but it's since been uh, tweaked so that it's not specifically targeting women and minorities anymore. Okay. Okay, Guy, what we're going to do is, uh, Dr. Hillier, are you there? Janice? Yes, I am. I'm here. How are you today? I'm great. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thank you for taking time out of your day. I've uh, had a chance to speak to Guy a little bit about you and your background. And, uh, of course, any friend of Guy's is, is a friend of mine. <laughs> so uh, he, he said all the right things about you. And uh, it's a shame you couldn't say all those good things about him, but we know Guy's a good man. So, uh, well, so. all I can say is that, is that they're all true. They're, okay. they're all true. And I just heard um, you guys talk about how we actually met and, and go really way back. I think it was 91. Well, I, I was trying not to date you. You know, my wife teaches, teaches me about dating women and, and letting people <laughs> understand their age. So now you, we know that you're at least 50-something. Well, uh, it's my understanding that uh, I, I think Snoop is a part of a song out there right now where it's, it's not too bad to go way back. So we're glad to still be here and be able to go way back and have some friends. And uh, actually, that's a, a good segue into the conversation that we're going to have today because that that's some of the things that are at issues particularly with uh with some athletes who today have decided to step up and and talk about some issues of concern particularly in the black community that don't give a, uh, a lot of our people a chance to go way back because their lives are cut short uh, way too soon and, and sometimes that's uh um, at the hands of some authorities who are supposed to be there to protect and to serve but uh, let me if I if I will uh, first uh, Janice I don't, I don't want to go too deep into that so let me stay according to what I I first like um, if you could uh, tell us a little about the work you're doing currently I'd like to start off that way first great sure and again thanks for uh, having me on today this is this is really exciting 
Uh, Guy may have mentioned I recently transitioned from the NBA where I had been 15 years as vice president in player development and launched my own consulting firm that works with educational institutions, higher education, amateur and professional sports leagues, really to help them fulfill their mission, which is to educate, develop, you know, and prepare these athletes for life after sports. And that is my aim and focus and now in the consultancy and working with those institutions as well as with athletes uh, to prepare them and with staff that work with athletes to help them to, to maximize their experiences you know, while they're participating and also be able to transition successfully um, into life after sports. And, and that is something that I'm... Um very passionate about myself is the transition. As a matter of fact, I, I spoke to a young man this morning uh, who is uh, kind of on the fence. He doesn't know if he wants to go back into the league. I'm sure if they give him a call, he said he would respond and go back. But at the same time, that just is kind of holding his, uh, his future and what he will do long term in limbo. And so uh, I'm curious to ask you as a season athletic director and administrator, uh, is it best uh, to address the personal development individually or as a team or, or, or both the team and the players individually when you talk about their personal development? Well, that's a great question, I think. And from my experience, you know, having worked at not only the college level and the professional level, but, but high school even more so now, I, I think actually it's a combination because what happens at the collegiate level and at the professional levels, when we talk about developing athletes personally, you have to think about uh, the way those programs are structured. And they're usually in team settings so that you have a certain amount of time uh, with the athletes, which is really pretty limited um, at both levels. So there's only a certain degree of awareness that you can accomplish in a team meeting or in a team setting. It's really in those situations where you can identify issues or challenges or developmental uh, needs that athletes have. But really, the one-on-one -on -one and the personal development um, really has to come afterwards, after those meetings where relationships are developed with the athletes, uh, folks that they trust, uh, to follow up on those topics, whether they be skills development or whether they be issues themselves. Uh, it really becomes one-on-one. -on -one. And like I said, that's challenging when we're relying totally on an institution and an organization because developing those personal relationships, having the skill set of folks who are in those roles uh, are all become a part of whether or not you know, we can be successful. Now, the, the responsibility, do you think, is that an individual that is a member of the coaching staff or is that a member of the staff that is not a coach? Well, you know, it depends on, again, the environment that you're talking about. Um, you know, they call it professional development, personal development, and that's one of the challenges when we try to support athletes, as you probably well know, depending on the structure. Uh, you might have an individual who is a part of the uh, coaching staff as a part of that player development, uh, player engagement, or student-athlete development uh, team or it may be someone external to the coaching staff or as a part of the organization. So structurally, uh, it, it depends on, on what type of uh, environment that you have. I think there's always benefits to having coaches uh, aware and engaged and involved 
and but then there there's a point where uh, there's confidentiality at whatever level um, to, to get an athlete to feel comfortable to talk about issues or challenges um, can be sensitive. And as we know, coaches are primarily um, concerned with athletic performance. And and if there's anything, um, not that they're not supportive, uh, that perceives it's going to get in the way of, of athletic performance, we may or may not get to the root of that issue uh, with the player, him or herself. Yeah, uh, I want to ask you a question uh, related to the responsibility. Is that something coaches are brought there, uh, Janice, if you don't mind uh, me addressing you by Janice, to coach? And, and I think that's the majority of them would like to focus on that. Uh, however, um, they are the ones that go into the household and convince the parents to trust them to um, make sure that their child comes to their universities, will get a good education, and become the best football player that he possibly can. But I'm sure once the coach gets that athlete on campus, the coach is concerned about winning football games and him being the best player he could be. Is, is, is that somewhat of a challenge to, to get coaches to buy into this, the personal development of the athletes? No, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think that I think it has to be a team effort, and you're referring to the, to the college level, obviously, at this point, you know, with recruiting. Yes. I, I think coaches recognize um, the importance of developing their football players um, on and off the court, and, and by and far large, most of them are uh, committed, you know, to this process. I, I think what happens is challenges, in my experience, at the college level become time and access so that when you have particular rules, you know, whether it's 20 hours a week uh, for college uh, athletes and that's the total time, then what can you fit in that 20-minute period of time? If it's study hall, you know, you got to practice, you got to lift, and during the off-season, it's where do you find the time for all the other support that's really needed for personal development? And then, of course, the support of the coach comes, in, com- comes into play. So I, I think there's concern on the coach's part. I think there needs to be uh, strong communication between the student-athlete development specialists, uh, that office, uh, folks who are collaborating with the coaches to make sure that the players get the, get the time that they need um, and have the resources that, that they need. And in those situations um, where there is communication, there's working together, then, then the athlete's needs can be identified and addressed. Okay, Dr. Bray, if I could jump in on that point as well, like um, so, I, I love Janice's answer with regard to you know, can a coach really care about holistic development? You know, in in the ideal world, all all coaches want to see their athletes, male, female, basketball, football, revenue producing, non-revenue producing sports. They you know they would love to have a happy whole successfully. Uh, transitioned athlete coming in and leaving, and so I I I I don't think that there's any one coach that would be so evil or negative about an individual's life and future. But the conflict of interest arises when uh, I have to make money and win games, and I'll be fired if I don't. And so the NCAA has this new time management legislation that restricts the amount of hours that coaches can even work with kids. So they have to now prioritize the wins and losses, the wins 
over the personal development. So that's that's an issue I wanted to bring at hand. And I also want to, you know, take a, a shot at really turning it back to the athlete and his or her personal responsibility for his or her own development. You know, institutions of higher learning have a plethora of resources that if you just manage your time and access them, you don't need a coach for Jack. You really don't. (laughs) Now, are you mature enough to access the counselor, access the tutor, uh, work a part-time job, do an internship, uh, manage an issue of anger management or drugs or alcohol because you have it. Now, that, that's a whole nother debate. Yeah, and I agree with you with that guy because there are certain environments that I, I think when, when a child doesn't have that type of support in the home, when he or she finds herself uh, in an environment where it's needed in order to succeed, uh, they feel somewhat vulnerable and, and sometimes uh, just don't know what to do and end up doing the wrong things. And that's where I think mentors and, and uh, those people that are there to provide the academic support and the personal development can certainly help those athletes because everybody doesn't come from the um, two-household family, mother, father, you know, big brother, maybe little sister. Um, you know, everything's okay in the neighborhood. Um, we're aware of that. But, but nowadays, there's, there's generations of athletes that have come from um, – you know, multiple degrees in the home. So we can't assume one way or the other, but I think you both have hit, have hit on some great points. So we got to take a break. Uh, I'm going to ask you both to hold on. You're listening to Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports. Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the three is very much the one to be. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spies are especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins, next week I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. All right, you hear the music, you know the show. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. And what matters to me today is 
Now, it, I find it a shame that we still have to deal with some issues that I thought they would were rendered and they were over with decades ago. But uh, that's what happens when you assume. So uh, we, we've got some uh, issues perhaps that be going on later on here, even in Arizona today. Uh, I understand uh, Donald Trump is going to be here downtown Phoenix. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of concern on a lot of people's part based upon what happened um, over on uh, east side part of the country and some of the tweets that were sent out by Mr. Trump, some responses he got to his tweets and some of those who have been offended, uh, some who have been in, in great support of him. Uh, perhaps maybe who, who knows what will happen today here in Arizona, but uh, he is in Phoenix or supposed to be here in Phoenix in a, in a couple hours. So with that, with that being said, I'm going to um, get back to uh, our discussion we're having. Again, I want to thank my good friend Guy Troop and, uh, and his good friend, now my good friend, Dr. Janice Hilliard. Am I pronouncing that correct, Janice? That is correct. Okay, great. And uh, so there is a, a number of things that, that I've always questioned, and uh, I felt that when the opportunity presented itself that I had someone on that I thought maybe be able to address the question I, I would take the time to ask them. So, um, Janice, I'm going to ask you, do you feel that college and professional athletic teams and organizations have a responsibility to support the social and political causes that impact their athletes outside of the game? It's a great question. You know, um, when I think about the word responsibility, I don't, I don't know uh, about the term responsibility per se, any more than perhaps employers out there in other industries. Uh, do they have a responsibility to their employees uh, in other industries? Now, I know at the, at the college level, it's not appropriate to refer to student athletes as employees. You know, that's for another conversation, I guess, yes. to show. Yes. But uh, <laughs> what I do think is that college, you know, and professional athletic teams should, should at the very least be sensitive to athletes' concerns, to you know, issues uh, by demonstrating some, some level of support um, by really collaborating with them to try to explore what their feelings are and to educate them or help educate them and find some common ground on ways to support them. And I, I think, you know, given what's happening uh, socially and politically, I think that organizations now have an opportunity really to provide a new model of leadership development. Uh, and having to do with educating athletes at, at all levels, you know, understanding the business of sports. When you talk about revenue, relationships with, you know, constituents, what social responsibility, you know, really means. And, and you know, and finding ways to partner together with their student athletes and with their athletes to achieve common goals. Because after all, you know, in athletics institutions and organizations, this is what we say. We say, you know, sports is a microcosm of society. Um, sports has the opportunity and ability to change the world. Why wouldn't we want to do that? So I, I think that it's a great opportunity. Um, I think it just makes sense. If we say we're preparing young people to be leaders in society and beyond, um, at least to some degree um, of supporting them, educating them, and helping them to become those leaders, uh, certainly fall, I think, within, within that purview. Guy, would you like to comment? Oh, God, you still there? Yes, yes, I'm still here, yeah. So I, I think uh, 
Dr. Hill and I were just speaking about that. And I, I'm giving her title, and, and I'm, I'm going to make a joke and, and purposely assume that you did not call Donald Trump President Trump for a reason. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to call Dr. Hill you, Dr. Hill you. Um, my, my comment is really that. Um, Sometimes it's not what you say is what you don't say. You're right about that, Mr. Troop. <laughs> Uh, my comment really revolves more around the uh, the collective efforts of the athlete community. If you take the professional athlete, uh, and Dr. Hilliard and I just spoke about a contribution that James Harden made to Texas Southern University, and uh, she may want to elaborate on that. But you know, there's a we have to be strategic as a community. So I don't care if we're talking about a community of female athletes, a community of African-American athletes, a community of African-American administrators and coaches, a, 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 a melting pot of athletic administrators of women, men, minorities, uh, etc. You have to propagate messages that, that people can hear collectively. And, and there, you have to, uh, share responsibility in, in this. So an athlete that makes $50 million that plays for one team should be partnering with the athlete that makes $50 million for another team, and then they donate their money to endow something that can live forever. And, and oftentimes the athlete community has is fractured, and so I, I like to analyze why. And, and what is it that's going on from the transition to collegiate athletics to professional sports that, that, that allows athletes to remain really separate and apart? There's not a collective movement. And, and you, you just take the NBA and the NFL, there's, there's 2,500 men that touch over $2 billion annually that somehow never reaches one collective social responsibility goal. And, and Guy, you know, you and I have talked about that a couple of times, and, and I'm, I'm going to um, just share some of our discussion um, to the listeners out there. Uh, I feel that way, uh, not only about the athletic community, but I, but I feel there's, there's a solution that could be found amongst our uh, African-American uh, fraternities and sororities as well. Uh, just recently, I believe... Uh, the Brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, uh, two members of the fraternity uh, were part of, a, of the film uh, that just, um, ooh, I think in revenue exceeded $100 million. I think that was Sister's Vacation or something. And they did Jada Pinkett and, and, uh, and a couple other um, black women were in the movie. I forget what it was, but first time ever. Uh, and I've, I've always felt, I think when I, first time I reached out to you guy, that was one of the things that I, I felt that there was an opportunity for a think tank to come together, uh, for business opportunities. And, um, I always recommended you could lead that charge. Um, you know, that, uh, Dr. Lem Burnham was a friend of yours who, um, I knew from my days in Philadelphia, I had reached out to him. And as you talked about the numbers today, back then, I, I was talking to them about maybe $25 million that collectively from the corners of Broad and Fairmount in Philadelphia, that's where all the teams are, the Eagles, the Sixers, the Flyers, and the Phillies. And um, the collective resources could help make an impact in, in the city 
in the communities that were, you know, struggling bad. You might remember the Bill Cosby uh, cartoon back in the day, Fat Albert. That was all about the Richard Allen projects where he grew up at. Um, so, yeah, it's just not the financial solution we're looking at, but uh, violence and lack of education. Uh, there's a lot that has to be dealt with in our communities. But I, I think uh, the athletic, the, the athletes in today's society who people look up to can be part of that solution. I agree with you on that guy. And, and Guy, I think, you know, to to kind of piggyback on, on your response, because I, I know we started out talking about whether or not institutions have an obligation and responsibility. And I like the shift that you took us to the athletes themselves. And I think what you're, you're asking in terms of the analysis is, is where, where does the root of all of this come from? Or, or why are we not collectively uh, aligned? And, and I think that's a great question um and being an educator and, and having my background in, in education and having having happened to be an athlete i just believe that everything starts with education so though the majority of our conversation today has been about college athletics perhaps and professional athletics i mean before athletes get to those levels they're in high schools and they're in communities and and one of my goals um, in my consultancy that, that, I've, that I've started here in Houston is to, to think about how to start at the grassroots level from an educational perspective uh, at the high school level in secondary education. I think that, that's some energy in terms of beginning to educate the athletes themselves about these issues of social responsibility. Uh, I believe you have to educate people first. And, and equip them and much earlier in sports to, to where we can plant that consciousness in the minds of our athletes when they are in middle school, when they're in high school, and then those that have the opportunity to go on to college and, and have a career and a profession, they're already attuned, if you will, to the idea of social responsibility, to the idea of the business of sports, to the idea of all the things that are ahead of them. And that coupled with, I think, we have to utilize the current models of folks like the James Hardens of the world, you know, the Dwayne Wade's of the world, the Tamika Ketchens of the world, folks who are models out there, there has to be some collaboration too uh, in terms of success to show those models to our young people because all they really see is what the media shows them in terms of, you know, James Harden's contribution, just as an example, to Texas Southern University here in Houston last week is one example. It might be in the media maybe one week. Well, um, I certainly can appreciate that, and I'd like to kind of throw a name in there. Uh, not a, a superstar on many people's list, but uh, certainly a superstar to me was, was a great role model for me, uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Herb Lusk, uh, who actually walked away from the National Football League uh, early in his career. I think it was in his third or fourth year. And uh, right when he was reaching the point of uh, becoming vested in terms of earning a pension, um, he decided to walk away and, and go into the ministry. And then when he went to a ministry, his, um, his commitment to not only his church, but his community, it evolved from there. And he's done a tremendous job uh, providing jobs and education, uh, charter schools, um, job training programs for the people of the community. So, um, so um, it's very interesting that, uh, that you mentioned education, uh, Dr. Hillix, because uh, I wanted to ask you that question 
but they're telling me I got to take a break. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, when in an athlete's career uh, is it uh, expected or should be expected for he or she to embrace the issues of their community. And um, uh, we'll be sure to do that after this break. You listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters, and we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Who do you feel the most important person is on a sports team? Is it the captain, the star player, or the fan? While it could truly be any of these individuals, more often than not, it's the coach. Listen for A Coach's Spirit with hosts Blake Rockwell and Kendall Allen. A Coach's Spirit offers a look into the human side of coaching and a chance to learn from some of the most impactful leaders in the game. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice of America's Sports Channel. If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. All right, you hear the music, you know the show. You're listening to Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. What matters to me is that uh, it's a shame that today we're still dealing with some social issues that thought we addressed and settled decades ago, but obviously that is uh, not the case. So we will revisit some things that obviously happened years ago and they're still happening today. But uh, uh, my good friend Guy Troop is with me and Dr. Janice Hilliard from... um, I believe Janice is uh, the name of her company. I want to get it right, Janice. I don't want to get it wrong. Um, sure. Want me to give it yeah, to you? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and give it to me? So I, that's, that. that's great. Uh, Hilliard Creative Education and Development Solutions. Okay. And are you in, in Houston, Texas? I am in Houston, Texas in humidity. Oh boy. Okay. Well, that's okay. I'm in about I'm I'm about 1010 or 105 something like that without humidity, but it is still hot. So You're in the dry. Yeah. You're in the dry heat. That, that, that that's what they say, but but fire is hot. If it's I don't care if it's dry, whatever it is, it's hot. So uh Janice, thank you so much for joining us. Listen, you 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 touched on something um uh, that I wanted to um 
wanted to elaborate on, and, and you, I think you talked about the education and early intervention as it relates to us dealing with, uh, with student-athletes. Um, because I, I had a question, and because I'm always concerned, myself as a former athlete as well, I'm always concerned about the understanding and the responsibility of the athlete to, to be a, a role model. And uh, I don't recall ever in my life having a course. Uh, of course, there are people who intervene into your life and are, and are great examples. Uh, but, but I'd be interested, is, 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 do you think there's a point in an athlete's career where he or she uh, sh should embrace uh, their community's issues and, and consciously invoke them into uh, a purpose? Uh, and if so, is that all athletes or is that particularly today just expected of black athletes? And if so, why? So that was like three questions I asked right there. <laughs> but um, I can, I can well, repeat them. I'll, I'll, take a, I'll take a stab. Uh, as a former athlete myself, I, I don't know if we mentioned earlier, I played here in Houston at the University of Houston. I, I won't say when. Um, as, a, as a scholarship student athlete, and uh, I've been in athletics and working in sports my, my entire career, and I was thinking about that question as you stated it, as to at what point did I become aware of issues um, in our community and, and how, in fact, that it, in fact, affect my purpose and, and really who I've become today. So I'll start there with uh, probably subconsciously. And, and being a person that's worked in sports my, my whole life, I don't think it was when I was an athlete. I think it was when I became involved in sports and athletes as a professional that I began to understand the systems of which I was a part. And I think for me, my perspective is that that happens often with a lot of athletes. It's, it's a process of maturity and maturation. Now, today, athletes are much more astute and politically aware and socially active and empowered than in my day. So I think there's some generational factors going on here. But but to be more specific, I think the answer, part of the answer to your question depends on individual athletes. You know, I think we're quick to group athletes in the categories. And all athletes, I think you mentioned earlier, didn't grow up in poverty. All athletes, you know, didn't come from single-headed households in the inner city or just playing football and basketball. You know, athletes are, are educated through the same public school systems, you know, as non-athletes. Our families... And, have values that affect us as we're growing up, just like it does culturally. And, and really, I think all of these factors and these experiences, they shape our values as people, as individuals, our belief systems, our goals, our consciousness. So I don't know that there's a particular time, you know, that we become aware. Um, but, but as all athletes, and black athletes in particular, um, because of our story and because of our journey and because we are in my opinion, in those revenue-producing sports, we're certainly aware um, of what's happening. And I think at the point that we become aware that we are, in fact, um, businesses, we, are, we generate businesses and revenue, and then I think it's at that point uh, our experience kicks in, uh, what kind of experience we're having, our background, our, our goals, our ambitions, all kind of roll into play, um, and, and our level of maturity. As athletes, you know, some athletes are more mature than others, like regular people. Some of us are educated more about and exposed to these kinds of things that we're talking about than others. So it, it is a process, I think, of maturation that's influenced by a lot of different things, including 
uh, our experiences. Um, obviously, I love seeing uh, athletes uh, today socially engaged. Um, you know, I think it's fantastic. I hadn't seen it growing up when I was growing up. But I think a lot of factors, um, you know, influence the decisions that we make, you know, the commitments that we take on and the responsibilities, um, as in really any other profession. But I, I love what's happening today, and I think there needs to be a way to find uh, find a way to continue this sort of this movement or this engagement of athletes. Uh, I, I agree with what you said, and, and I also am going to agree with, I think there's a generation of athletes that, uh, certainly benefited from a generation prior. I am one of those. Uh, I didn't have to, and I think I may have said this on the show before, but I never stood in a line that was for blacks only. I never had to wait outside of a restroom uh, because, again, it, it was it was it was white only. Uh, I never had to ride in the back of the bus. Um, it's because there are people that that lived their lives prior to me. Uh, and fought that fight for me so that I would I would have the right. Uh, I'm not going to call it a privilege. Everybody should be able to use the bathroom, whatever bathroom, when they need to. <laughs> not to have to stand in line. But certainly, um, you know, and because of that, uh, perhaps maybe there was a generation of athletes that just, you know, they didn't have to fight this fight. Uh, not that the athletes today have to fight it, but there is another fight that they have to fight. Uh, and I think they're consciously aware, and that could be because of the fact that the athletes of our generation did re- are trying to remind them that there were uh, the Muhammad Ali's, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, uh, the, the Bill Russell's, that, that stood up, Jim Brown's, that stood up on behalf to make things better for us. And, and so we today have to support them, uh, the next generation of athletes. I, I look at it like I, I never ran track, but like a relay race. The baton has been handed off to them or it was handed off to us, now we're handed it off to them. But where there's injustice for one, it's injustice for all, and, and we ask them that they stand up and be vocal um, like there were times where, where people before them certainly had to do that. Um, there's one other part to that question that I, I wanted to address, um, with particularly with your experience in, in uh, athletic administration and from an environment that I, I should not assume, but I'm, I'm going to say it was um, at the University of Houston. So uh, perhaps maybe I can go ahead and assume that there were both black athletes and white athletes at the university. So as it relates to these issues, um, Dr. Hilly, do you think this is an issue that is these issues of of civil rights and these social issues that are um, being tested today? Is, is this just a black athlete's? mission and and concern area of concern or it should just be all athletes oh absolutely it should be um it should be all athletes um you know any any concerns you know that are part of our society and and again this is in my opinion should should be all athletes and I, i think when that happens um then then we're demonstrating that that issues that happen in this world and space that we live in affect all of us maybe some of us more than others. Um, the University of Houston, my alma mater, happened to be, you know, one of the first institutions in the South that brought um, African-American athletes um, to the University of Houston. You go back to Elvin Hayes um, days and, and all of those guys. But I think that what you see, um, so no, it should not be just sort of the, the plight, the, the fight, the advocacy of, of African-American athletes because, 
um, it's important to have the support of uh, white athletes. I think recently when we, when we see some of the um, other um, white NFL players start to speak up and speak out about Colin Kaepernick because it broadens the conversation and people are able to, to sort of look above but not beyond race and see how what's happening affects all athletes. Do do African American athletes, you know, feel a uh, you know a greater burden, a greater responsibility? Again, that's that's an individual response, in my opinion. But I, I cannot imagine that that we do not, um, given our journey and given our experiences, are, are quite different um, than others. We come out of the communities that we talked about. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely uh, is important that the more athletes of all different races you know i was at the nba for 15 years and that's a uh, an inter- an international league and i believe uh, last year the year before there were 110 uh players from 32 countries okay. so we, we talk about the influence of, of athletes all over the world and not just um you know black and white we're going to have to take our last and final break. Um, Dr. Hillary, please hold on. We'll be right back. For those of you listening, you're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix Living Like It Matters. We're going to take this break, and we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the three is very much the one to beat. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Right, you hear the music, you know the show, you listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters, and what matters to me is that we're still dealing with issues today. Uh, socially that we uh, addressed decades ago, but uh, they've resurfaced and, and this ugly head um, has revealed itself once again of, of racism and hatred and all things that are not good for our country or any place in the world. So I have on me today my, my dear friend Guy Troop and my new friend Dr. Janice Hilliard. Um, thank you both for joining. Uh, Janice, there was one other thing I wanted to address uh, with you in particular, because a, a, a lot of this at uh, times, um, after being married to the same beautiful friend of mine for 34 years, who is from St. Louis, Missouri, and t- tells me, don't tell me, show me, um, 
I'm led to believe that women take a different approach to things in life at times than men do. Sometimes we agree. We don't agree on everything, but we've agreed on a lot in these 34 years. So uh, I'm going to ask you um, this this question that um, has to do with um, the female athlete in particular. And um, let me ask you, in your opinion, has the media fairly uh, covered the civil rights issues such as the Colin Kaepernick stance of I'm sorry, police brutality and, and how does gender and race and socioeconomics play into the conversation? Wow, you, you like those three-part questions. I sure do. I apologize for that. I should have warned you ahead of time. <laughs> yes. Fair. Uh, you know, when, when you talk about the media, you know, what what is fair? I mean, Fair is uh, defined by uh, who's shaping the conversation, mm. and, and 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 that's just you know how I, I look at media. Uh, this whole thing uh, during the political election about what is fake news and and what does media cover? Media covers um, what the powers to be want covered, and and that's just a, a reality. Um, whether that is more uh, coverage of women, you know, for example. Uh, in women's sports or whether it's co- coverage of civil rights or Colin Kaepernick, you know, it all ultimately is determined by who is making decisions about what gets covered, whether it's Fox News or CNBC. You know, so I'll preface, you know, the, the, the response by, by saying that. So to me, fair is uh, balance. You know, are you seeing the same amount? Are we seeing the same amount of, of media coverage? But more importantly for me, you know, uh, is, is from where is the coverage, is, is it balanced in terms of the audience? Like, where are we getting the information? Uh, who's covering um, civil rights and social issues as it relates to sports? Are we going to the same one person, okay, or the same two people to ask opinions about Colin Kaepernick, for example? Um, that then, you know, I, I hate to interrupt you right there, but that that's a great point you just made right there because I've told <laughs> I've told I I've told I've told guy many times that uh, I, my problem is is with the question and who's asking the question mm-hmm. and, and and who they're asking the question of. Yes, yes. What, what yes. Would, so if we go to you know if we go to and I, and I think we're we're on the same page here. So so who who's being asked the question? Is that balanced? Is that fair? Because that's where you get diversity of opinion, yeah. and that's what we should want. And the same thing is applicable when it comes to the women. I think you guys saw recently um, the Mystics team, and I believe it was the L.A. Sparks team, held hands, uh, arms during the national anthem. I believe it was last weekend over yeah. in D.C. Yes. And so if you if you pay attention to, uh, I posted that article on my, uh, I have a Facebook page uh, and a Twitter uh, directly that goes to athletes. I'll have to give you those handles. Um, it, it's an attempt to um, educate and empower athletes uh, through, you know, through the social media media. And, and so what I'm able to do is to track how many people actually saw that post, right, and how many people share those posts that I put out there on, on a daily basis and how long those posts are out, actually out there. So it, it's interesting to see that WNBA coverage and game again how long that lasted was there any media coverage the the next week did anybody ask anybody what they thought about that game male or female 
uh, or even write about it. So there is balance, and I think it's pretty obvious that, that there's not. Yeah, that uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, that's why I'm um, certainly happy and pleased to have you here to continue this conversation because uh, those of us who, who do have a platform out there, there are times where uh, we have the freedom um, on our platforms and other times it's, it's controlled. In this case, ours, we have the freedom to uh, say and, and talk about whatever we choose to. So I certainly appreciate this. I'd like to, if you can share... If it's for the public domain, if you could share uh, those handles. If it's not, then I'll get them from you later. Sure. Oh, absolutely. No, would 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 love to. Um, our Facebook, our our um, website will be launched soon, so I'll have to come back on and give you that. But the social media handles are: we're on Twitter at um, at at a t h empower e m p o w e r at at empower on Twitter. And on Facebook, we're on Facebook.me uh, slash at Empower. If and I could those, just jump in, Ray, you're, I'm sorry. Janice, did you have another yeah, I was just saying. Yeah, I was just saying, and those mediums are, are a direct uh, way that we are posting information and generating dialogue amongst athletes um, that are out there. So Facebook, more so uh, probably for the... Uh, younger athletes, but on Twitter we're posting information and, and encouraging discussion. So we post this article like the one I just described and pose questions and have discussions uh, from athletes and those that work with athletes. It's raising the awareness. Again, I, I believe we've got to educate people. And I think Guy would say, um, and I know he's going to jump in, create our own means and modes of communication. Cre- create our own ways to, to dialogue with athletes, to create our own media. Um, avenues. Guy, you want to piggyback off that? Yeah, I, you know, I was going to say, you, you know, you may not have an airway. You know, you talked about uh, uh, Donald Trump. He may shut you down uh, and you may no longer have a voice. He's in Phoenix. He may just send his crew right over to you and and, uh, and, and uh, point to your, your fake news and then shut you down. But uh, in all, in all uh, seriousness, uh, the you know the the thing that that I'm most concerned about when it comes to media and athletes, both of you all hit on the point, and so there's hundreds of examples where uh, the power elite control the messages, and and but in, with today's social media tools, anything can go viral, and so. Our aim should be, okay. as educators and conscious people, to make great, righteous, good thoughts go viral. And so the question is, how do we do that? And, and, and so, you know, there, there's tons of great, great books. The Bible's one of them. You know, there's tons of great men and women that have lived the earth, that have walked the earth. But, you know, I, we, could, we could steal from the archetype. We, we could steal from all great men and women that have played, you know, laced it up at some point and create an archetype and, 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 and propagate and promote that archetype to athletes around the world, whether that's and athletes or entertainers. So... You know, an athlete that had the courage of Tupac or, or the courage of Muhammad Ali or the well-roundedness of a Paul Robeson or the, or the athleticism of a Serena Williams or, the, or the, the, the groundbreaking, you know, strength 
of a um, of a Billie Jean King. I mean, you you can go on and on, and 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 it's right at our fingertips, and we just have to we just have to get you know you know get our viral on. And, and make this, you know, go, you know, just like some of these ignorant videos or these ignorant things that get 20, 30, 50 million views. We've got to, we got to try to create a community that can do the thing. Yeah, and ours, ours will be done, as you say, with the purpose guy, and uh, that'll be a positive purpose. Uh, the time has run out on us. Thank you so much for, for joining me, Guy. And uh, Dr. Hillier, we, this will not be our last time, I promise you. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it, guys. And uh, you've got another follower now. Okay. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix Living Like It Matters. And I'll see you next time, which will be the best time. you for spending this hour with Ray Ellis Sports. We hope that you've enjoyed today's conversation. For more information and to write Ray, visit RayEllisSports.com. That's RayEllisSports.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Sports Channel.